Eisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz, psychic medium Stephanie Burke has the night off. And uh, we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night broadcasting live on WBSM as well as on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and on the Spooky South Coast YouTube and on the Spooky South Coast app and pretty much anywhere you can find YouTube. So that means your mobile device, your your laptop, your desktop, if you still use one of those, your, uh, you know, uh, what are those things called? The tablets, those square yep. things, iPads, those kind of things. Uh, and also, you know, maybe you have a, a streaming device for your television, like a Roku or a Chromecast or any of that stuff. Maybe even you just have an Xfinity cable box. If you have an Xfinity cable box, you know, the, the nice new one there where it has a, uh, you know, it's like the it's the black box with like the little blue light on it. You can access YouTube from your cable box. There's also some game platforms you can do. All yeah, all, the, all of them do, now. Do they have um, Xbox? They all have YouTube now. Do they have a uh, Comcast across the country, or is it just regional? Uh, no, Comcast is across the country. Uh, I do, it's not in every area because some still have other established cable deals with other providers, and you know. Cable can be kind of a monopoly in some places, like like here in New Bedford. I'm sure it's similar. They though, don't across. They only across, have Comcast. Like whatever you have, right? I uh, you know. I know that uh, I believe Cox Cable in uh, in Rhode Island has the YouTube option. And is, is Adelphia still a thing? I don't think Adelphia's no? around anymore. No. no. Uh, Continental. I think Continental's gone. Oh God. Media One Roadrunner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that is Xfinity now. Uh, what, what are some of the? You know, Moni's. Uh, I'm going to bring you into this because you're older than, than we are. <laughs> But uh, I fell down a rabbit hole. The Wiser. Well, I'm, I'm at least older. I'm, <laughs> I'm just looking at chronologically speaking. Uh, I fell down a rabbit hole the other day. There was this uh, this YouTube series that I found. Uh, I, I can't remember the name of it. It was, uh, oh, it's it escapes me right now, but I'll think of it. And basically what it is, it's a, it's a YouTube series that looks back at old technology. And especially old television technology. Okay. So I was looking back at some of the first television pay-per-view broadcasts and looking back at some of the early days of television in the 1930s when they were first really starting to broadcast television stuff and right and uh and but one of the episodes was about something that i have a, a remembrance of and i'm sure you do as well and that was the like the pay-per-view uhf tv yes so you'd be watching you know for those of you who don't know what uhf is when you had an old tv that had the dials that you would turn the knobs you would turn to tune the channels you know you had the one dial which was vhf so, which very was high frequency two three four five all the way up to 12 13 and, well or, 13 was usually yeah. the one that kicked in your uhf yeah. knob which was the one underneath it and on the uhf knob you'd have everything going all the way from 13 through uh usually what Seventy something. Yeah, it was. It was, but I know it was higher than sixty-four because right. we had Fox sixty-four here in Providence. Yeah. And so those channels, you know, that was like the non-network TV. So that's where you know uh, twenty-five came from, fifty-six. You know, people yep. people watch 64. now and they were like, "Why is it Boston's twenty-five when it's on channel five hundred eight or eight hundred five or right. whatever it's on?" And that's why because these were the numbers that they used to be on back then, and the, some of those UHF channels. They did this thing for a couple of years where at 7 or 8 o'clock at night, they would scramble the channel. And you needed Usually to... Usually it was for certain sport events and... Well, no, these these were actually like services. So what it was was it was you had preview 
and yep. Starcase were the two that were around here. Uh, but there were some other ones around the country. So it would scramble the signal from 7 o'clock at night until like 11 at night or, or, or 2 o'clock in the morning or what have you. And it would totally scramble the signal and you had to buy the, the service yeah. for 25 yeah. bucks a month. And that service would unscramble the, photo, the, the, the picture and you could watch the show. And they had like four things. Like each one would have like four things that they would, four movies they would show or four comedy specials or whatever. And I remember there was, like I said, there was two in the area. There was Preview and Starcase. And when I was a kid, we had Starcase in my apartment. And then our friends in the upstairs apartment had preview. So we would just go over and we're like, if there was a movie you wanted to watch, you'd everybody go upstairs. If there was something else you wanted to watch on Starcase, everybody would go downstairs. And, and it worked out, I guess. But So I'm watching like these, <laughs> I'm watching this, this video that's explaining how this stuff used to work. And I guess it was a really simple thing to hack. And that's what led to the downfall of this. I always thought it was, you know, the, the influx of cable television was what killed this because... Obviously, why would you want to pay $25 a month for one channel with four shows when you could pay 30 bucks a month for all of cable? And uh, it, it, it turns out it was actually the downfall with people hacking the boxes and being able to make their own boxes and, and descrambling the photo and uh, descrambling the, the video and, and basically watching porn. <laughs> like, I guess that's what it, they found out is that they found out, like, people didn't really care about watching the movies like, you know, watching uh, Jaws 3 or whatever else was broadcasting. But it was, you know, at midnight when they started broadcasting the, the softcore porn. That's when everybody was, like, kicking in those scrambled boxes. So I just found that fascinating. And I'm like, oh, gee, we've come a long way where, you know, now, you know, back then, if we wanted to watch these movies, we were, like, amazed by the fact that, oh, for $25 a month, we can watch these movies right in our house. And now here we are making television. Basically, using a bunch of computers and webcams in here that people are sitting in their TV in front of their TV and watching, and and we're in high definition, and you don't have to descramble us, and there won't be any porn, but we could put that on the table for a future episode, maybe. I don't know, just not tonight because it's just us three dudes in the. Uh, I'm gonna go with no. But but that's the thing is like you know just taking a look at some of that technology and that that got me thinking too. So if you know. That was the height of television technology back in the day. Look at all the stuff that we do now in the paranormal field and in and, and trying to do this research. And imagine what it was like trying to go up against that level of technology with what it is that we were trying to do. I mean, I'm sure that you were able to go around and, and conduct investigations. You know, maybe if you're you know checking out a haunted place, you'd be able to bring like a Polaroid Instamatic or something or a 35-millimeter camera. But it wasn't like having being able to have this instant access to that data as soon as you were out there recording it. I actually had one of the original, uh, it was a sonar-activated or sonar uh, Polaroid one-step. My uncle worked for Polaroid at the time, and he was one of the people that helped develop the film and stuff like that. So we got all of the pretty neat newfangled ones but i remember taking that into a couple of locations and you hold the button and sometimes it would trigger on stuff because it worked principle of radar the aperture would bounce you know it send a signal and then the aperture would move based on the distance the radar set and sometimes if you're standing in a hallway all of a sudden i'm just holding it there and all of a sudden the lens would start moving back and forth like there was something standing in front of it and i'd snap a picture and most of the time, I just wound up with what people call today orbs, which was really just 
dust. But, you know. And, and I can just imagine, like, you know, I, I, I can picture this happening, Matt, and it's like, oh, we think we see something down the hallway. And then Moni's just standing there, like, shaking the picture, waiting, waiting. And by the time that you finish shaking it and you develop, you're like, oh, the ghost already left. Yeah. But I can only also imagine what it must have been like to be the kid working in the photo mat booth <laughs> on Sunday morning when the paranormal investigators dropped off their roll of film from Saturday night and said, oh, I need these developed. Double prints. And then the kid's, like, developing them, and, like, they come back, and they're like, uh, you, this is just a bunch of pictures of nothing. Yeah. And you want a double prints of this? Are you sure? And it must have been great, because remember when you had, like, they did this thing. I don't know if they, it was throughout the life of the photo mat, but at least, you know, toward the latter stages, where you could tell them that you didn't want to pay for a photo. Like, yeah. if there was a garbage photo, you could be like, ah, I'm not paying for that. And they would just take it off. So, like, you went and filmed an investigation, and then, you know, there's nothing in any of those photos. So you can be like, ah, I'm not paying for that. No, I'm not paying for that one either. No, no, I'm not paying for that. So uh, it's... <laughs> photomats. I'm old. You're the one dating yourself there, if you remember. I remember photomats. I, and I was very upset when photomats went away and they just tore them down. Because I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be something else you can use a photomat for. Like, just because you're not going to develop photos anymore. And how did that work? Because they didn't actually develop the photos in oh, the no. photo mat. That was just like a little booth where you dropped them off. and then right. So, like, somebody was taking them from that booth and bringing them to some place to process them, and then the photos would get dropped off back in the little booth. Right. So they just figured, like, out of all the things in the world that people just didn't want to have to get out of their cars and deal with, developing photographs was the thing that warranted building a little hut in the middle of a parking lot. Well, most of them, if I'm not mistaken, were in touristy areas. So it's not like you... you I remember one in Randolph. I don't think there's anybody touristy in Randolph. But <laughs> I'm saying generally. Right. right yeah. You know, uh, that's where you would find a, a lot of them clustered. Uh, not to say that there were ones out in, like, Des Moines, Iowa sure, yeah, or something. Sure, you probably had them in, in... There was probably at least one in every town. Right. Uh, but uh, it just seems like, a, of all... You know, it seems like a good idea, a good concept that's just you know, wasted because nobody wanted to develop film anymore. And it wasn't even so much that people didn't want to develop film anymore that, that killed the photo mats. It was the fact that every Walmart had it, every CVS had it. So there was you know no need anymore to have a specific place for it. But I, I'm thinking of all kinds of things you could have put in that photo mat, you know. what I noticed, too, that um, there's, like, Dunkin' Donuts that are, like, photo mat Dunkin' Donuts now. What? Yeah. Where That's was I? I think one. it was in Attleboro. Either I think it was in Attleboro where they had like a little tiny, like Dunkin' Donuts like booth thing, and then they had the regular Dunkin' Donuts too. And this was like a secondary drive-through, so like you could go to this little one if you were Your just getting Dunkin a coffee. Dunkin' Donuts has a Dunkin' Donuts in it. Yeah, if you were just getting a coffee and you didn't want like donuts or food or anything, you could just go and get your coffee uh, from I, this little I, one. I, I, don't, I like that. They, idea. they have one of those on uh, Route 40 in New Bedford. Oh, small Dunkin' Donuts. Do they like like it's little? Yeah, like just the coffee. Is there like a bigger one closer nearby? Um, they might be like one across the street, but it's it's small. It's not like you can walk in. It's only like drive through. Very interesting. Yeah. Maybe 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 photomat coffees. Although I haven't been been by in a while, maybe they like finally expanded. They're like, well, we we wanted to build a full size Dunkin' Donuts, but we figured we wanted to get started as quick as possible, so we just built the drive through window first. Well, I like the idea of having just a one one. Part that's just for people ordering coffee because nothing gets me more mad than, yeah, I was egg and cheese croissant. Hold the hold the cheese and people are very particular about their coffee and their breakfast sandwiches. Right. See, uh, and while we're complaining about things, it's it's not paranormal, but while we're complaining about things, 
Paranormal uh, runs on Duncan. That's true. It absolutely <laughs> yeah. does. Uh, Ask or, Dustin Perry. Uh, well, it also depends, too, on uh, on who the investigator is. Some paranormal runs on Dunkin' Donuts, I mean, on uh, Cumberland Farms coffee because it's only a buck. True. So yeah. people like me that can't afford Dunkin' Donuts, we just... Paranormal runs on coffee. Yeah, some sort of caffeinated beverage. Yeah. Uh, well, while we're complaining about things, though, uh, one of the things I'd like to see, I've, I've been pushing for years for legalized gambling in Massachusetts. I want them to build as many casinos as possible. I want them to have as many different places for people to go. Because my thought process is the more casinos we have, the less likely the guy in front of me at the convenience store is going (laughs) to buy 45 different scratch tickets while I'm trying to get out of there with my bottle of soda. Yeah. You know, I go to this. number seven. Oh, my. I go there just to get a gallon of milk last Sunday. And because I use the last of the milk, and I'm like, "Eh, i got to go get some more now. And I run down to the store. And sure enough, there's two people in front of me, and they all just want to buy scratch tickets. And they, like Matt says, they got to go through every number. They want to know what the number is on the back of it. They want to know if anybody hit on that one yet today. And my favorite is when they give them the card, you know, the, the winners to scan through, mm-hmm. and the person tells them how much money they have. And then the, the, the person gets all upset and says, oh, no, that doesn't sound right. I had more than that. Uh, like no. Do you, do you no. think the uh, the the power of belief uh, applies to lottery tickets? Just scratch like scratch tickets. Like if yeah. you say, "Oh, this is going to be a winner." This one's going to be. Uh, this is the one. Well, you've you've been there. You've you've scratched tickets. Did yeah, you, but but did, I always scratch the first one, and then I'm like, I'm not going to win, and then I never do. Did, like, but I can't get over that the fact. Um, I. I where where I just like kind of uh, accept the fact after even after the, just the first number I'm just like I'm just gonna lose. I just want to say April in the chat room. I my wasted new my money. person because she says cherry coke. Absolutely cherry coke a thousand times. Yeah, good uh, stuff. It, but add, uh, add it to some vanilla ice cream. Oh yeah, the um, the you you. Well, I guess we can say now. You know when we worked at the diner for years. Right. Like, did you work there when there were scratch tickets there? No, no. So they were already gone by the yeah. time by the time you worked there, because like people would literally believe that they would literally just buy a bunch of tickets, and when they lost, they'd be like, "Well, I got to buy the next one because I didn't win on these twenty that I bought, so I know the next one's a winner." Right. And they would get mad if somebody came and bought the one that was the role that they were working. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, and I used to do that all the time just to piss people off and just to mess with them. You know, I was, I'd be working as the cashier selling the lottery tickets, and I'd watch some jerk sit there and scratch a ticket, you know, scratch a, a roll of tickets. They'd come in, and they, they wouldn't buy, you know, 20 different ones. They'd buy 20 of the same ticket and then sit there because they always had that one long thumbnail. And they would grow that thumbnail just so they could There's scratch tickets easier. There's only two reasons you have a long thumbnail. Right, and scratch tickets was one of them. Oh, maybe I was thinking of Pinky. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a, why I was like, the thumbnail's when you really got the problem. Yeah. <laughs> the thumbnail's like, I don't really care if I live or die. You know, but but they, they'd have that long thumbnail for scratching tickets, and they would scratch 20 of them in a row. And so I would just see them be like, damn, 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 I lost. So I would immediately just buy the next ticket on the roll. And more often than not, it'd be like five, ten dollar $10 winner. And then they'd get pissed. Just like old people at a casino when you jump on their slot machine and hit. Oh, my God. I, I think I've referenced this before on the show, but if I, I know I've talked about it off the off the air. Going on a cruise where there's a casino on the boat, yep. but you can't gamble while you're in while you're on the you know, wherever. Docked. Yeah. you got to wait until you get out into the international waters. And so the first time I get on a cruise ship, I'm walking around just, you know, take, you know touring, getting the lay of the ship and, and seeing what it's all about. And I get to 
the casino and I see all these people sitting down. So I'm like, well, this is something to do. And I sit down and I put money in the machine. I go to put money in the machine and it's not taking it. So I call the guy over. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with this machine. He goes, oh, no, the, we can't gamble till we get into international waters. I'm like, what are all these people doing? So almost every machine is full. He's like, they're waiting. Waiting for what? How long is it going to be until it's probably going to be about four or five hours before we can actually turn on the machines? They're going to sit here for four or five hours? Yep, because they want that machine. <laughs> and he told me, he's like, you, you'd be surprised. A lot of them will barely get up from that seat for most of the crews. They will get up when they close, because they close the casino for a couple of hours so they can vacuum and stuff. Yeah. And when they close that, they'll all go up to their room or go get something to eat or whatever or sleep then. And then they'll come back and they will fight for that same same spot again. I don't get gambling. I don't. Maybe it's because I just never have money, so I can't see wasting it like that. But, hey, whatever. Although, I guess... People are really, like, I don't know if it's superstition or not, but people are funny about gambling. Like, I remember going to, I think it was Twin Rivers, and, um, like, sitting next to someone, like, they would, like, freak them out sometimes. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And I know I'm bad luck. I know. I like. I I've accepted that fact already. But uh. well, remember we can bring this a little bit back to the paranormal a little bit. Remember when we went to Twin River to see Ghost Hunters yep. when they had that premiere of uh, I think it was season three, and so we went to the party and then afterwards we said eh, we're at Twin River. Let's do a little gambling. So I I had a twenty dollar bill on me. That's all that I had. And I put twenty dollars into a machine, or I—I I actually I thought I was going to be able to like play for a quarter, and then it's like that doesn't really exist. So I put twenty dollars into a machine, and I think I was like two or three hands into a video poker game, and I won eighty bucks. And so I got the payout. I put the original twenty back into my pocket, and then we each took twenty dollars yep. out of that and just spent the rest of the night blowing money. That I not the rest of the night. The next ten minutes, <laughs> the next, yeah, ten or fifteen minutes. <laughs> but uh, but it was fun, and yeah. that was like that's like my biggest gambling win. I well, I've, oh, I, I won a hundred dollars on scratch. You won twenty eight dollars at a horse race. Oh right, yeah. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> that's right. We went to uh, we went to the uh, dog track. Yep. Why why were we up there? It was something paranormal related? Was why we went up that way? Uh, no, we were coming back from a food show right, or something, yeah. right? Like Taunton yeah. Rainham. Yeah, we went to the dog track on the way back, and like I think we just went to get something to eat, which was weird because we were at a food show all day. I think that was the year we were mad because they didn't give us enough free food. Maybe, maybe. Or was that also the same year that we went to that hotel bar and I, just drank? No, because that, that time we went to Wendell's. Right, right. Uh, but anyway, we ended up going to uh, to the dog track, and that's right. We, we had to bet on that. Uh, was it a dog or a horse race? Uh, it was a horse because I think at they, that time the the racing was already gone in the, Massachusetts. The, yeah, the, the, they couldn't race dogs in Massachusetts at that time. Yeah, there was no so, so it was just, just off track yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there was one called "Come on, come on, come on," and yeah. we we had to bet we, on that we, in honor we, of fifty. We let it ride everything. <laughs> <laughs> yep, twenty eight dollars. Uh, was a good day. Yeah, <laughs> and, and as I say, I won a hundred bucks on a scratch ticket a couple of times, but I don't really buy them enough to. I, I like to think that my gambling is in the uh, – I'm in the plus column these days. But some would say, hey, we gamble every time we go out and do an investigation because you never know what you're going to come back with. We can bring this back to the paranormal, I promise, that we can. <laughs> uh, I'm just reading some of the uh... – <laughs> Yeah. It's, this is a great comment. It's always the people who wear Marlboro Miles jackets 
that win big. That's true. <laughs> remember, remember that? Oh, my God, the miles. Oh. Yep. Remember, like, there's people in the diner that would just have, like, giant Ziploc bags of them. Yeah. We, we worked with somebody who her entire wardrobe was Marlboro <laughs> stuff that she got from the Marlboro. Uh, was it was it like a – was there an actual catalog or – Yeah. 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 I, I think at the time um, – Marber had one. Camel had one. Um, I don't know if there was like a Virginia Slims. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, like nothing says, uh, you know, like I'm trying yeah. to put this it's nicely. Like, it's like I, so I just took 15 years upset. off my life, but right. at least I got a jacket. Yeah. Like nothing says I give up than you know, fully decked out in marble gear. It's like if I'm going to put these things in my mouth and spend all my money on it, at least I should get you know a windbreaker out of the deal. <laughs> I've got <laughs> towels Mm-hmm. You got towels? Yeah. You didn't, towels. you didn't smoke enough then. Yeah. If you smoke enough, you could have had like, like, you know, you're really, you know, somebody's really got a problem when they got like the leather jacket <laughs> <laughs> that was like 18,000 right. miles. But to they, match your lungs. Or they, <laughs> they give you a kayak and you're like, how many cartons of cigarettes did you have? <laughs> right. The guy, the guy rolling by you at Swiss Beach of the uh, Marlboro cigarette boat. Right. <laughs> that was like 18 million miles. It's like he, he smoked just enough to get it, and then the first day that he went out and drove in, and he died of lung cancer. Do you remember those uh, Pepsi miles or, whatever, or Pepsi uh, points or whatever? Yeah, they used yeah. to have. They had a commercial where they they put up like oh the so Harrier? many so many uh, so many points or whatever, and you could get like a Harrier jet, mm-hmm. and, and they somebody collected got, it. Yeah, yeah, right. And they were like, uh, <laughs> like what do we do we, here? We can't. <laughs> no, they, I think they ended up settling, but I'm not sure. No, I yeah. think I think they had to give them like the cash value. Yeah. Of, oh, really? of the Harrier yeah. jet, yeah. So yeah, that was a bad idea. Whoever whoever's marketing Who ad wizards that came up with that. <laughs> Matt will tell you that's the second worst Pepsi commercial idea after putting the Counting Crows in one of their commercials. Ooh, are they? <laughs> <laughs> that's my, one of my favorite back oh, jokes. That might been, uh, that was Coke, I think. Right? Uh, I don't know. I don't nah, know which whatever. one it was. Oh, I was, was going to say, what about Michael Jackson? That didn't work out so well either. But <clears throat> Matt had a very funny joke about that commercial with the Counting Crows, but okay. I can't repeat it on the air because it's just not the same without the vulgarity. All right, well, uh, we are going to talk about the paranormal, and that's usually what we talk about. Moniz, you were out last week. Yep. Uh, you uh, they were... had a, um event up in Hadley, Mass., and it uh, brought a lot of people, and uh, Cliff got to me- meet the local group, and he's talking, uh, from what I understand, he's going to be coming back. And uh, there's going to be some more BFRO events uh, coming in the future. And we have some other upcoming events, don't we? Oh, yeah, we got a bunch of stuff. But I, I do want to ask you a couple of questions about that. What was the crowd like there? Was it? it was, was they it, had they had a full full house. And, was it serious Bigfoot people? Yeah, or was there it were fans seri- of the show, too? Um, a lot of um, locals, but, uh, you know, fans, and uh, they got a good enough turnout. So there's a there's a big, you know, a big Bigfoot community around here. There's a Well, there's... A, a lot of interest in the subject, whether, you know, a lot of people just interested in the subject and stuff like that. We've got, uh, like I said, a number of events that they're putting together. They're going to, I'll, I'll get dates and things uh, at, in upcoming yeah, shows. That's where you but, really see where the interest level right. is because those are the people that are actually going to go out right. to the woods. But um, most, uh, computers acting up, uh, most of the people up there were, um, uh, you know, fans of the show and, you know, a uh, handful of people with uh, some encounters. Um, like I said, I believe Cliff will be looking to come back towards the, um, I, I got to 
check with uh, yeah yeah don't give out John. any dates if, if you're yeah. not totally uh, sure but, but he's planning to come back okay but um, well I'm, I'm glad that there was a good turnout for it uh, how was the food that's the big question uh, I didn't get to get get the food. but anyway um, well I was did, just I'm just wondering if it was like I, was it stuff from what big, I understand was it stuff Bigfoot would eat uh, a lot of beef jerky yeah I guess yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I said, we got events coming up that we're looking to, um, you know, have people join. And, and actually go out and, yeah, go, and check, go through the process. Yeah, if them. people want to check out what happened, just go uh, to the Squatchachusetts website. And uh, they've got, uh, I believe, some of the videos or links to some of the stuff that happened. And I know we've talked in the past about doing, you know, with when we were doing a lot of stuff with Legend Trips, which is, you know, these days, with Jeff being so busy, we've hardly have a chance to do anything. But when we were doing legend trips, we always talked about having it not just necessarily have to be you know paranormal investigations that are ghost hunts. We could do other stuff as well. And we were always thinking about. But the one thing that we were always concerned about with Bigfoot research is that you're basically taking a bunch of people out into the woods in the dark, and that's an insurance nightmare for an event organizer. So, like, you've got to really have everybody sign, like, ironclad waivers right. and all that kind of stuff to be able to do that. And we just figured, you know, it was too much of a of a risk to, to bring people out there. So when people are going out there and doing these events, like, just your opinion. I mean, do you think, like, somebody should have a reasonable amount of experience being out in the woods and especially yeah. at night to be able but, to, to partake uh, a in this? Basic, a basic woods understanding would help. Yeah, you, know, you don't have to be, you know... Daniel Boone, but, you know, uh, you, you got to at least understand, you know, these are trees, these are rocks, you know, there's wild animals out there and, and things like that, you know. Yeah, if you're thinking, like, I'm really looking for something for the wife and I to get off the couch for the first time in 10 years, this probably isn't the way that you want to start off. Uh, no. I mean, a lot of the, uh, I've been to several of these things that they've done. Uh, they tried to stick to pretty clear trails. You're not... You're not out there trailblazing, you know, hacking through forests. They they try to stick to pretty wide open trails and stuff. Uh, if the people that have a little bit more experience will go off trail. Yeah. I think I think we've talked about this before, uh, but just refresh my memory. Have there been Bigfoot sightings reported in the Blue Hills? Yes. Just because I know that there's a lot of wildlife that lives in the Blue Hills that not, you wouldn't I was normally say find not other recently, places. but yes, there definitely has been. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty fascinating thing for them to be there because that means most likely, more likely than not, they've probably been there for a long time because civilization has pretty much kind of enveloped the Correct. Blue Hills. Blue Hills and the Hockamock, that whole area. That's true, yeah, the Hockamock too. Because Blue Hills abuts basically the Hockamock. So this is probably something that has been, you know, a, a, a pocket of these creatures that have been here for a long time, more so than just, you know... Yeah, it's not. It's not like the bear crossing the the, the Saginaw no, Bridge. If you talk to a lot of the uh, Wampanoag elders, the, the stories of their wild man go back before you know the settlers even came here. So the first stories of quote unquote Bigfoot that uh, Americans got were from this area, right from here. So it's uh, certainly there's a lot of places just around here where people could go and look. Don't go and do it on your own. 
You know, certainly you want to bring somebody who, A, is experienced in being out in the woods in the dark alone, but also somebody who's experienced in knowing what it is to look for. Like, I would never just go out into the woods and be like, I think tonight's a good night to just go screw around and try to find Bigfoot. Like, I would call you and I would bring people that we know that have, you know, done this for a long time. Plus, I'm not, you know, I'm not a woods guy. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing when I'm out there. So I'd be the guy that would come back and be like, I don't know why I'm so itchy, but I think I walked through something that I shouldn't have. Uh, So that we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And we do, and you mentioned, we do have some stuff coming up. Uh, Next week, of course, there won't be a show because we'll be in Mount Washington, Stephanie and I, uh, for the Bright Star event with uh, Jason Hawes and Steve Gonsalves and Dave Tango and Charity Benedetti and Porter and Ty Gowan. So we're going to be up there. You know, and I haven't been up there since I was a kid, so I'm pretty excited just to get back up there and, and see what it's like up there. I, I, from what I understand, there's no more old man on the mountain. No. He's gone. That was but, uh, gone 15, 20 years <laughs> I told ago. You it's been a long time since I've been up there. Uh, but uh, And also, you know who's not going to be up there anymore in, in the woods of New Hampshire? The wolf man. Oh, yeah. He passed away this week. And actually, they'd actually replaced him a couple of years ago because he's, he, got, he had gotten sicker and sicker. Uh, but he was only 60 years old. And uh, so there's a story on WBSM.com and on Fun107.com, uh, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about. But there's there's an amusement park in New Hampshire that's beloved amongst New Englanders because, see, we had a lot of – and this, this is a very interesting topic because a lot of these spots are still around and have a very haunted history. Uh, but we, we had a good amount of those small amusement parks across New England. Uh, you know, all the way from, you know, Rocky Point in Warwick. Yep. Going all the way through Lincoln Park, Park. here locally. Uh, we had Whalem Park uh, out in western Massachusetts, well, central Massachusetts kind of. Uh, I'm sure there was stuff out toward the Bur- Berkshires that I just i am not familiar with. Uh, we had Riverside, which is where Six Flags is now yep. in, in Nagawam. And you go up into New Hampshire, there was Canopy Lake Park, which is still around. Storyland, which is still around. Uh, Six Gun City, which I don't, I think that's still around. Santa's Village, I know, is still around. You know, all these different little places. And, and one of those... Castle Land. Uh, King's Castle Land. Land. That was in, uh, what, Abington? Something like that, yeah. And now it's a stop and shop. <laughs> but, I mean, even I, like, outgrew King's Castle Land before, uh, before it was all said and done. But, uh, but there was, you know, there was a lot of the... Uh, and we had Paragon Park and Hull. So there was a lot of these little small amusement parks. But one of them was Clark's Trading Post, which is in, I think, what, Jefferson, New Hampshire, if I'm right? I remember the name. I don't recall. Which I think Jefferson's also where Six Gun City is. So these these must have been pretty close to each other. And I used to love going up there as a kid because there's, you know, gift shops where you can buy, like, Native American, like, toy Native American drums and bow and arrow and headdress and all that stuff. And looking back on it, I'm like, I don't know why, like, there was so many, like, Wild West-influenced Native American stuff in these stores and not, like, you know, more indigenous people of the area. But... I'm sure they just all came from somebody who shipped stuff to gift shops around the country. Right. Uh, but I remember that was like the first place I ever saw um, uh, the jewelry. Uh, you know what I mean? Turquoise? Turquoise, yeah. <laughs> okay. first, first place I'd ever seen turquoise jewelry. And so, but anyway, the Clark's Trading Post, for those who don't know, it was basically a place where people went to go see performing bears. Like that's that was the attraction of this place for a long time is they they would train these bears to do different tricks, and as the years went on, it became more and more of a park. And that was the first place I ever went on. You know, the Houdini's haunted mansion type ride. They had one that was like a mystery cabin. But 
they also had a train ride that would take you through the woods, much like we have here with Edaville, uh, only it was longer. And it would take you through the woods, and you would kind of just go on the train ride. At some point, I think in the, the late 80s or early 90s, or maybe even it was later than that, they said, no, because I haven't been there since the, the late 80s, so it had to have been in the late 80s. At some point, they said, you know, just, just having a train ride isn't enough for people. We've got to spice it up a little bit. So they created this legend of the Wolfman of the Woods, and this guy who lived out in the woods, and like he had this like uh, like a like a vehicle that he had cobbled together from spare parts of different stuff that he would drive alongside the train, and he would shoot his guns at you that were full of blanks, but mm-hmm. he would shoot his rifle at the at the train, and uh, it was because the apparently the area where we were going to was rich in unobtainium, and he didn't want anybody to get his unobtainium. That was all for him. And so he would, like, you know, just roll by in his little crazy cart and yell things at you and call you all kinds of names, and and, uh, and it was great. And it, it really added a whole new element to that train ride, and he's he was a beloved figure to people in, in New England. And, uh, and the original Wolfman passed away this week. I guess he had a really serious bout of lung cancer. Uh, so you can read all about it on, uh, on WBSM.com. But, you know, we share the stories out that we um, that we write here and, and – working at the station during the week and I had shared that story out with the spooky South Coast audience and uh, we put it up on a couple of different social media sites and it became one of the biggest stories we've written all year on any of our sites because people are just sharing it and putting it on their Facebook and tagging people in it and just people with those memories like just saying hey remember oh it's so sad we used to go see him every summer uh, so that's I'm, I'm, I'll be a little bit sad going to New Hampshire for the first time since the last time I saw Wolfman Although, you know, I don't yeah. count going to Canopy Lake as going to New Hampshire because yeah. you're just five minutes over the border. Yeah. I'm talking like going Franconia like Notch. You go over just for the liquor store. And, you know. Right, right. This is this is real serious. In the fireworks. New Hampshire. So, uh, which, I'm, you know, maybe we'll bring some back. But uh, the, What, liquor or fireworks or both? Or both. You can't have one without <laughs> the other. Not if you're going to New Hampshire. Hey, uh, I, I sense a backyard podcast in the making. That uh, could very well be. Uh, so... Like I said, we won't be here next week, but the week after that, we'll be here. Uh, well, Moniz and I will be uh, at an event at the Lizzie Boyden yep. House. We're going to be having our paranormal auction that night to help raise money for Max's medical bills, uh, the Lizzie Borden cat. And uh, we have a ghost hunt happening after the auction is over. So the auction will be will be auctioning off the items over Spooky TV on SpookySouthCoast.com. People will be able to bid on it in the chat room, and then once you finalize your bid, then you're going to have to call a number, and when you call that number, you're going to say, okay, we're going to send the money over PayPal, and then you have you know, 10 minutes to send it over PayPal before we just put the item back up for auction. So uh, I think that's probably the best way it's going to work, and we're going to try and auction off these great items that were donated by all of our paranormal friends. We have uh, a reading with Chip Coffee uh, over the phone. We have uh, autographed books. We have autographed T-shirts, all that kind of stuff. We have some of the gear that you see paranormal investigators using on TV. If you've watched Kindred Spirits and you've seen Adam and Amy use those, they, they have these new headphones that have a microphone built in that they're using for a recording. Well, we have a, a set of that that we're going to be auctioning off as well. So you're going to want to take part in the auction anyway, no matter where you are in the world. But you can also come and join us for a ghost hunt that night. We're going to have the whole house to ourselves after the auction is over, 
and we're going to just let people do their thing. You know, we'll help you out, and we'll we'll bring our equipment, and we'll be there. But really, it's going to be a very intimate, private ghost hunt. And uh, and you can get tickets to that at SpookySouthCoast.com. We're doing it to help raise some extra funds for Max and to try and uh, help with those medical bills. And then, who knows? Who knows what could happen? Maybe we could convince yeah, Leanne to, <laughs> maybe we can convince Leanne to open the doors to the other place for a little while. Just let us in. Take a look. I'd be I'd be down with that. I think I think we might be able to make it happen, but uh, I can't promise that. I can't put it on the website as being something that would be included with the ticket price. But I'm just saying it might happen. So five minutes down the road. Yeah. So maybe that can be something that we can include with that. So, uh, but again, no promises. Get those tickets at SpookySouthCoast.com. You'll also find tickets to some other events as well. Uh, we have uh, we have uh, Winchenden coming up. Uh, the Isaac Morris House and the Murdoch Whitney House. We have Wareham coming up, our annual fundraiser for the Wareham Historical Society. Uh, Ghosts of the Gateway, that's coming up. Uh, we have, uh, we'll also be in North Andover in October. And also, we just announced this week the Smith Harris House. Uh, Stephanie and I are going to go do that. It's a little tiny place. So, uh, actually, Stephanie might not even be there because she has something else going on that weekend, too. Might just be me. But uh, the Smith-Harris House said, we really want to get something going there again, so can you guys find a night? And just so happened that the night we found that works is the night before Middleborough Paracon, so I'm going to have about two hours sleep <laughs> that morning. But, uh, you know, worked it all out. Because we just we want to get out there and when the weather's nice and get out there and do stuff with people instead of being in here all the time, you know. Not that we don't love doing the show, but, like, we don't really get outside. We're not outside people. So this is... You are, Moniz. You do yeah. stuff outside, but for the rest of us... Well, actually, Matt does, too. Matt's dog outside. does a lot of stuff outside. It just oh, yeah. makes Matt go with her. Yeah, yeah she's very active. You, yeah, you've been... You're like a secret outdoors guy. Yeah. Like, we don't really know that about you, but, you know, you, you kayak and like you Bigfoot, take walks yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Go Search for Bigfoot. Basically, I'm the only guy that's like, I'd much rather just be on the couch. In the winter, the I just stay inside, though. You have to. Do you want to come with Leah? The group next time we go up, sure. All right, yeah. I, I'm. Uh, I got my um, my camping supplies, and I don't know how does how does Bigfoot boots. react to off good boots? That's one of the things I highly Did, stress. Yeah. Did, yeah. Does is uh what about in, insect repellent? Is that like a uh, is that a deterrent? Well, even Bigfoot doesn't want to get the insects. <laughs> well, I mean, because it does like have a lead. it does yeah. have an odor, and like sometimes like. Perfumes and things Trust like me. that. What, At, what would uh, after you're hiking through some of the woods? It doesn't matter if you're wearing bug spray. You're having odor. Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> my my natural man musk is gonna, gonna, gonna <laughs> be most. very very prominent. So right, yeah. That's I recommend the Gillette gel mm. deodorant. Yeah, that that seems to take care of me and most. And they have the you can get the clinical strength one too. Oh. If, uh, if you have issues. Uh, Dave Goudsward's in the chat room, and uh, he, he was talking about how s- m- several of those amusement parks that we were talking about actually sprung up from being something at the end of a trolley line. And that's actually how uh, Lincoln Park started right. uh, here in, in, in Dartmouth, was because it was halfway between New Bedford and Fall River on that trolley line, and they, they were noticing that people were only getting on and going from one end to the other, and like, well, what if we could find something that we could have them stop halfway and they wouldn't have to go because it was a long ride back then 
on these cars, and people were getting aggravated and weren't taking the trolley. So they said, what if we could come up with something where halfway they could stop, stretch their legs? And then that kind of involved, well, what if we had a destination point where people from both cities would come? And uh, and spend the day, and it turned into you know a lot of memories. You're like we said, you're a little older than us, so you you have yeah. uh, you know you were older when it was still operational than yes. we were. Um, back when I was younger, that would be one of the weekend destinations, rather than just sitting around town doing nothing. You know, having an automobile and a little bit of gas money, head up to Lincoln Park and spend either the day or part of the night out there, but only because. It was cheap. Was it was sense. it ticket based or was it pay one price and just get in and ride? Uh, was um, you could do either. Okay. Um, you could buy individual tickets and do individual tickets, or like what I used to do in our friends, you get the hand stamp. You pay mm-hmm. X amount of dollars and they give you this stamp on your hand. And basically, what wound up happening is we each chipped in so much money. One person got the hand stamp. The rest of us licked <laughs> the hands and, and you know, stuck them up against each yeah. other. But and then we would just run around and you know mainly spend most of the day on the roundup. So so what what was there for for those of us that don't have? I mean, obviously I remember the comet. Yeah, the comet, the the reproduction of the uh, famous roller coaster from Coney Island. Mm-hmm. It 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 had the same twists and turns and falls and stuff like that. Uh, there was a haunted house. There were. Well, several variations of haunted house. If, if so, there was there were multiple. Yeah, uh, one one See, big one and other smaller little right keep, things. You know, you always hear people make the mistake of, you know, there's there's a, there's a distinction between the haunted house and the fun house. Yeah, the fun house is the one with all the mirrors right. and the crazy things that make it hard to get through, and then the haunted house is where I mean, like. I have to admit, like, I'm mildly obsessed with those. Like, I watch YouTube videos of just people, like, I don't care if it's, like, somebody's 1970s, you know, 35-millimeter movie of it. I, like, I, I watch them all. Well, the big haunted house thing was the one that was next to the giant slide. Okay. Uh, okay. And it was near one of the entrances. It was between the giant slide and the entrance to where you got onto the cyclone. And there was... Several other smaller little ride things that went around in that. The Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel was always pretty cool. Um, and then they had the arcade, an original arcade. You know, not just with the video games. Right, I'm right. Talking, you know, you'd have... Uh, you know, the skeet ball and all and of those. Ha- and you'd have... Um, uh, what was always... I'm trying to think of what it was that was always big in those... Like the original beachside arcades. Yeah. Uh, the, the pistol... Sh- and, uh, uh, Air rifle things, you know, with the BBs. And shooting galleries yeah. and, yeah, things like that. Uh, I remember, you know, I I lived for a while when I was a kid right near Paragon Park. And so even if you couldn't afford to go to the park, you could go to the arcade because it was, you right. know, outside. So you you could go to it even if you weren't going to the park. Uh, I We should really do, you know, and we will, we will get into some paranormal topics. I don't mean to be, like, well, if going down nostalgia street. Well, here, we but, can go into... Um, Lincoln Park being haunted, and now they True. built the built those apartment things there. Well, one, but one of the things I think we should do is I think it would be worth finding an expert. And I know that we've talked about the Rocky Point haunted house before because we've had Jason Mayo in here, and yep. and he's written comic books about it and made movies about it. Uh, but I think it would be interesting to find somebody who might be like a national expert on those haunted house rides and talking about them because, like, some of them were really good. A lot of them were crap. A lot of them were cheesy. 
but they always drew, you know they always had a line when you went to an amusement park. There was yep. always a wait to get into those rides, and some of them were really really well done. The one of my favorites of all time, and again I haven't been all around the country, so I can't really. Uh, speak to it, but you know you would have different ones that would come through with the carnivals, yep. and yeah, they you know some of them are good, some of them are bad. Uh, you could always kind of tell carnivals or rides, both. Yeah, but you could always kind of tell like you know with uh, with the traveling ones, you know they always painted the haunted house cars to look like whatever was like popular at the time. So I remember like one of the cards had like ET on it when I was a kid. One of them had Darth Vader on it. And so you'd always want to get the Darth Vader cart like that. No, no, I'll wait. No, no, no. You go ahead of me. You know, it's a Darth Vader cart. Get out of my way. And so that was, you know, kind of the thing, but that was, you know, those, those rides weren't great. You, I remember you'd always be like, this has got to be a good one. If you looked at it and it had the second level yep. and you would see the cart come out and go around and like, you'd see the people's faces like, they would go in. Like, not even realizing that they were just faking for the people that were underneath. But um, one of the best haunted house rides, for my money, that I've ever been on is the Haunted Mine at Canopy Lake Park. Like, I've, really? I found that to be really well done because when you go and you can watch the video on YouTube if you're not from the area. When you go in, like, you start off, you're in the mine, and you see the animatronic guys working the mine, and they're talking to each other. And you're just you kind of do like a little bit of a, an S curve around where they're working in the mine and watching them work, and then you go through a waterfall. You like drive through that, and like it starts to descend down a hill, like you're heading into hell. And there's like a, a, a like a ghostly head that pops up and says, "No, no, 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 go back, go back." And then like it turns into like something evil. Yeah. And then as you're going through, like they still look kind of cheesy, but it was pretty well done. And so when I I remember getting off that. The first time I ever wrote it, and I said, I could actually see people being scared on that. I wasn't, but I could see people actually being scared on that. And it was the first time like, I ever felt like a haunted house might actually scare somebody. You know, I know people were just freaked out to see someone jump out at them in the dark, but it was always just laughing. the air cannon blowing air at right. you. Yeah. I actually got in trouble when I was a kid because I went into one of those. They used to have those walk-through haunted houses where yeah. you didn't get into the cart, but it was still, yeah. you know, you'd walk through and... And uh, usually, like, that would be what would show up, like, at the Kingston Carnival when I was a kid. And so we were at the Kingston Carnival, and, and I decided that I was going to jump out and scare my sisters behind me and freak them out. But uh, apparently they had let some other kids go ahead of them, or maybe they had freaked out already and backed out or something, because it wasn't my sisters behind me when I jumped out <laughs> and scared them. And then I got in big trouble for having scared kids inside the ride. But... I was honestly just trying to scare my own siblings. I didn't even realize anybody else was in there. <sighs> Memories. Yeah. So that uh, I, find, I found the mine right. I just put it up. You put up you put up a video of the haunted mine. Yeah. On YouTube. Yeah, somebody put it up. So oh well, yeah, we can see it happening right now on the screen. So. Uh, it is pretty oh, scary. Go back, go back. You don't want to go down here. Oh, go back. I'm like narrating what's probably like thirty seconds behind. But yeah, no, it is. It's it's very well done, and uh, stuff does pop up at you. But it's it's great because this is like one of my favorite things to do. And I know that it's probably lame for a lot of people. But when I first got my TV, my my you know 4K 60 inch smart TV, the first thing that my son and I did is we sat on the couch and we watched POV amusement park rides in 4K high definition. That's and fun. 
it was. And it's like now I felt like I've actually been on mm. these creeping me out. i got to change it. Like I've never been on the Haunted Mansion in, in Disney World. I've never been to Disney World. So I've never been on that. But I feel like I've experienced the ride now from watching those videos. Same thing with Pirates of the Caribbean. Like I've never been on the ride, but I've seen the entire ride experience. And, and it's not – I didn't feel at any point like I wasn't getting the full experience from it. Mm. So it's a lot of fun to, to do that. And uh, before we go into the news break, and, and when I, like I said, we'll talk some paranormal stuff on the other side. But we'll take your calls as well, 508-996-0500. For everybody that still keeps asking me how the uh, Amityville House investigation was that I did last Sunday, <laughs> it was an April Fool's joke. But a lot of people didn't get it. A lot of people thought that I was telling the truth the whole day when I said I was uh, going to get the chance to investigate the Amityville House. So... I'll talk a little bit about that when we come back after the news as well. It's just, I felt, it got to the point where I felt bad. And I was trying to do all that I could to give it away that it was a prank, but people still just kept buying. And by that point, I was already committed to the joke. Yep. So I couldn't just walk away from it. So uh, we'll explain some more of that coming up in the, in the next hour as well as your phone calls. 508 996 500 877-996-1420. You can call in and share. I'm wondering, are we actually on the radio? Because you would have thought mentioning Lincoln Park, we'd already be getting some phone calls from people. Uh, but we'll talk more about that coming up as well in the next hour. We will talk some haunted amusement parks. We'll talk some haunted house rides. We'll talk all kinds of weird stuff coming up after the news. We'll see you in just a few moments with more Spooky South Coast. South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, we were we were just talking about things that we will do for free and things that we won't do for free. <laughs> and this show is uh, one that we are happy to do for free each and every Saturday night, except for when we're out doing something else, like the events that we have coming up. But don't worry, we will be back shortly with plenty of new episodes, lots of stuff planned going forward. And, uh, and I had mentioned... <clears throat> talking about paranormal investigations. I had mentioned in the last hour, toward the end of the last hour, that uh, I'm a little ashamed of myself for pulling off the April Fool's prank that I did. A lot of people didn't believe it. A lot of people, most of the people knew, most of the people who didn't believe it were people that know that I wouldn't have been able to keep it a secret had I actually been granted permission to investigate the Amityville House. I would not have been able to, to, to keep it to myself I would have totally blabbed at some point. 
Uh, but I, I posted. I, I was just it came to me where all my best ideas come to me in the shower that morning. And in this case, in the shower, maybe code for I was on the toilet. But either way, like, I have this great idea of, like, i got to play some kind of a prank. Because usually Matt does a, a good Photoshop or something for April Fool's. But uh, My April Fool's was to not do anything. I know. <laughs> that my, You got everybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was my honest thought is when I saw that he hadn't done anything, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, he's not doing it because people expect it now. And now he's going to do it on, like, June 27th. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, just to get everybody back. But, uh, so I said, I got to do something. So I said, I'll put out the most unbelievable thing, and I'll see how many people believe it. And so I posted up, you know, after months of not being able to say anything, I can finally let the word out. I'm leaving right now to drive to Amityville to investigate the Amityville house. <clears throat> so I told people I would be bringing my phone, and I would go Facebook Live when I got there. And then I would have my GoPros to record footage of the investigation and all that, but I had to go alone, and I had to go that night because the owners were coming back from Florida to take over the house for the spring and the summer, and this was my only chance to get out there, and I had to do it then. So I said, I'll go Facebook Live at 7 o'clock at night, and uh, we'll go live from around there. And I said to myself, maybe at 7 o'clock at night I'll just do a live video. I'm like, April Fool's, and that's it. Whatever. And I didn't realize it was going to start to blow up. That people were going to start to be commenting on it. Like, really, like, a lot of, like, positive comments. Like, I felt bad that these people were believing it because they would have been so supportive of me had this been legitimate. People that are like, oh, that's a dream come true. I'm so jealous. And, and uh, like, I really started to feel guilty about it. But then some people started saying, like, there's no way this is true. I'm not buying it. So now, now it becomes a little bit of a challenge. So now I say, okay, well, i got to see if I can at least make it seem like it's not a joke without coming out and say, Like, I never confirmed or denied that it was an April Fool's joke. And so I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start putting pictures up. So I put a picture up, like, now leaving Massachusetts, welcome to Rhode Island, you know, things like that. But as more and more people believed it, I was like, i got to get, like, more ridiculous with this. So I started putting up pictures that were, like, obviously not from this time of year. Like, you know, pictures of, uh, you know, being close to the to the Connecticut border with, like, full-bloom trees and, you know, le- trees full of leaves and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's so obviously not current. But uh, some people caught on and other people didn't. Other people were like, oh, you're almost there. Oh, let us know when you get there. So I, you know, I just kept the joke going as long as I could. And finally, at 5 o'clock, I said, uh, I've arrived. I even had this little thing going where I, was, I had pulled over into a white castle to get something to eat. Like I had taken Google Maps photos of the White Castle and uh, I took a picture of like the drive-in window to make it look like I was going through the drive through and everything. And uh, so I had it all lined up. But I finally, at 5 o'clock, I put up pictures of the outside of the Amityville house. And then I went Facebook Live telling people that I was there. And I'm in my car waiting to get out of the car, waiting to meet the person that's going to let me in. And talking about, like, how honored I was to do this and how apprehensive I was to do it and all. And then as I opened up the door to the car and got ready to turn the camera on to show a bit of the Amity House, that's when I'm like, April Fool's. And a lot of people had believed it all the way up to that point. So I think I have to retire from April Fool's pranks because I'll never get one over on people as much as I did with that one. So for any, anybody that felt bad, uh, anybody that uh, got mad because of what I did, I feel bad. 
I feel bad that people bought it and that people believed it, but it was kind of fun to keep it going. Uh, I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, God, he's going to have people hook, line, and sinker. Well, because you know yeah. if it was true, you would have been one of the people that knew. Yeah. But And it helped that, like, you know, some people played along. Uh, Stephanie, you know, said, oh, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't join you. I was like, like, I really would have brought you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You've never even seen the movie because you don't watch our movie. No, of course I would have. I'm just kidding. Um, that actually would have been good because she hasn't seen the movies. <clears throat> right. And uh, so, but what's funny is Kristen, who works here, had actually posted in there, like, no, guys, this is true. He was talking, like, I know for a fact he got a phone call this week about it, like, at the station. And I was like, oh, hey, thanks for helping me play along. Not even realizing that she w- she believed it. Because last week I got a phone call from somebody who's starting a radio show on the paranormal and was looking to get in touch with Chris Lutz. And so he called me here at the station (laughs) and they patched the call through to me of this guy looking to talk about Amityville. So it it was legit. So she really thought, like, like, she was like, oh, this guy really called to talk about Amityville, so it's got to be true. And uh, when she told me that, I was like, I didn't even think of that or else I would have messaged you and been like, it's it's definitely a joke. But it uh, it was pretty funny. So, uh, but absolutely, one hundred thousand percent. If I ever have the chance to investigate that house, and and I, I, f- I feel like someday I will. But uh, you guys would definitely know about it because I would not be able to keep that a secret. And I, I would actually enter into it with like, if they said we're going to let you do this, but you can't tell anybody, I might actually have to say I have to decline then, <laughs> because I know my big mouth would not be able to keep shut about such an opportunity. All right, well, we yeah, that's true. Mark has a good point in the chat room. Anybody that gets mad doesn't get April Fools. It's not like we've played a lot of tricks on people with this show over the years. We've done a, a couple few. of times. I'll never forget the the first year that we were doing this show. And so we're talking 2006 and it's April and Moniz had been part of the show for a couple of months at that point. And uh, we were talking, and he's like, we really should do something for April Fool's. And I, no, no, we can't do that. He's like, yeah, we should we should pull some kind of hoax off. It's like, no, we can't do that. We don't have the kind of credibility of the cachet to do that. We're just going to get people to turn against us. Like, I was so worried about <laughs> us, like, not having cre- – because we were, you know, we were only a few months in. So I was so worried about us losing credibility that we shut down what would have been probably a good opportunity. But – we played a few tricks over the years. The the War of the Worlds one being that was the good. biggest. Yeah, I think that. I mean, we got so many people with that. There's people that still listen to that show on podcast, and will come back and tell me you got me. Like I was listening to this, really thinking like all that stuff was going on. I'm like, that was ten years ago at this point. Like you would have heard about it if <laughs> if, if there had been an alien invasion, you would have known by now. That it had actually happened, and you wouldn't have been finding out about it on podcast. So I will, I'll just go, we love our listeners, and I would never disparage any of you, but if you are the kind of person that's listening to that episode of the podcast from like a decade ago and believing that there was an actual alien invasion going on, then you probably should stop listening to podcasts and like just walk out of your house and experience the actual world, because you're not living in it right now. But uh, there's... I don't know. How, how can you buy that at this point? Yep. I mean, if you just woke up from a coma, maybe. 
if you're like, I was in a medical coma for you know all the last the, 15 years. The first thing I did when I got out of it was I was like, let me check out the Spooky South Coast show. All the uh, HG Well cues were in there. I mean, all of the all of the names that we were using, locations. I'd like to say that we worked hard on that, but we really we literally did. just made it up that afternoon. Yeah, but uh, it was pretty good. Like we had, uh, we had, uh, the, we were using the name of the the uh, the Dr. professor. Barnes. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Barnes said we were using that. We were you know and. Uh, Saying that we were actually in Grover's Mills. Yep. Like, that should have been the first tip-off for most people right then and there. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I mean, we, we did a good... We I mean, dragged Lucky into it. And well, when you have Peter Robbins calling in and yeah. telling people it's legitimate, then I can see, understand people falling for it at the time, not ten years later. Yeah. Maybe maybe that person making that comment is just trying to hoax me into thinking they really believed it. I, I want to go with the coma theory. Okay. I'm going to go with, like, they just woke up out of a coma 15 years. They woke up. The first thing they did, well, the first thing they did was took a dump because <laughs> after 15 years, you're really going to go. And uh, and then the second thing they did is they heard about this spooky South Coast show, which obviously, you know, if somebody just woke up after a 15-year coma, like, the first thing you would want to let them know about is this show. Right. You'd want to be like, hey, I got the show for you. Like, forget anything else. And the person's like, whoa, 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 who's president right now? Like, never mind. You're not even going to believe it if I tell you. <laughs> like, like, we don't even want to get into that. Like, I can tell you who the president is. In terms of anybody else in the cabinet, I don't know. Like, let me check Twitter. What's Twitter? Uh, that's another thing we'll get to in a little while. <clears throat> what is Twitter? <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the guy who hasn't been in a coma doesn't understand. But, uh, wow. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a paranormal question for you. What do you tell somebody if, if – all right. I don't want to get too sidetracked down a detail here, but we're just free-forming here. Paranormal potpourri. Somebody that's a paranormal investigator wakes up after – what's it, 2018? Yeah, currently. 20 years in a coma. So they've been in a coma since 1998, right? That works. So they wake up from the coma. They're a paranormal investigator, 20-year coma. They wake up, and the first thing that they ask you is, tell me how the paranormal world has changed while I've been underneath, while I've been in this coma. What's the f- the quick, concise way that you explain it to them? Um, lots of pictures of dust. <laughs> We can confirm that it's dust. We have proven the existence of dust in the time that you've been under. Matt, what about you? 20-year coma. Somebody wakes up. They say, how has the paranormal world changed? Well, I think the um, there there's more of a... Um, I mean, there's more bickering now, but there's more of a sense of community, I think. Well, there's a lot like more with, people involved since Because, I mean, there, look at how many countless... Fa- like. I mean, you'd have to explain what Facebook was, but I mean, look at how many how many countless uh, Facebook groups there are, um, different websites that are devoted to it now. I mean, where whereas before there was only a few like there was like Shadow. Um, I shared something uh, earlier this week, and somebody named some old. Um, oh yeah, I love that post. Um, I, I don't know what website it was from. I just I just found it randomly, but it reminded me of like those old like Angel Fire sites and like Shadowlands and things like that. Did you see my um, tweet about that when you tweeted it out? No, no. 
I said, you said, you know, who remembers these type of websites? And then I put, yeah, I remember it with the uh, the MIDI version of the oh, yeah. March playing right. in the background on a constant loop that wouldn't stop. With the X-Files theme or something, yeah. Right. But that's a good point. I mean, that is probably the thing that would shock somebody the most that had been under for 20 years is to wake up and be like, you're not the only one anymore. Right. Like, there's a it's, lot of people doing it. It's definitely this. more open. Like, you can openly discuss it. I would say if somebody asked me, you know, tell me how the paranormal world has changed mm-hmm. in the last 20 years, I'd be like, everybody's famous now. <laughs> <laughs> like, everybody has a show. Yeah. Everybody, everybody is somebody that does this now. You can tell because they all have the same matching shirts. You, you, you'd probably tell them, like, there's a show where they have paranormal investigations on. Or there's, like, quite a few of these shows, and right. they're like, really? They're eight hours long? <laughs> yeah. They have these yeah. shows where nothing happens and people right. watch it. Like, it's, it's funny because, like, the entire rise and fall, well, not fall, but, you know, the, the entire run of Ghost Hunters would be in the past, would be in the rearview mirror for them. You know, so they would have missed, you know, the the, f- the first real, you know, reignite, reignition of the topic uh, has already run its course with all the changes do you think they would be upset or do you think they would be like more like wow all this stuff is really cool and all this are like do you do you think that their um their thought would be the paranormal is going in the right direction i think that they would feel that well if there's more places that are open to having investigations done and more people willing to talk about it, I think that they would feel that's moving in the right direction. Right. I feel like a lot of people might say, like you might say to them, well, we've got digital photography now. and Well, you had digital photography in 98. No, wasn't that not, great? Not, but but yeah. you didn't have it. It wasn't something that the average person had. And if you did, you had a two-megapixel camera. Yeah. You know, so you can say, you know, everybody's got a camera in their pocket now that is... Better than the best photographic equipment that you had access to before you went into the coma. You know, and somebody might be like, oh, really? Like, isn't that a little too pristine? And the same thing with audio. You might say, well, you know, we record everything digitally now in audio, and uh, there's no more tapes anymore, and and you really don't have to listen back if you don't want to. You can kind of listen as it's happening. And they might be like, yeah, but isn't that kind of defeating the point of what we're doing with recording the audio? So there may be some things that we have seen evolve over time and, and answered those questions that might raise a lot of those questions right away. But uh, I think probably the, the, the biggest issue that they would have with the way that things run now is I think people would be upset about all the judgment being passed and all the uh, evidence being presented that the data being presented that isn't anything. Like, we might get all excited, or not we, us particular three, but people of this modern age, you know, might be sharing stuff that's like, look at this, look at that, look at this, look at that. But I think people of 20 years ago would have been like, no, that's nothing. But because I think the bar has been lowered as to what we're willing to accept might be paranormal activity. Because there's so much of it being recorded now that it's not as... Highly scrutinized, if that makes sense. That and the ability to, um, we'll call them forgery, uh, uh, of other things. You had, you know, photo manipulation back in 98, but nothing like what yeah, now, you have the ability well, to today. And the difference is now we can do it in real time. Right. So that causes even more problems. 
But I, I feel like they would look at it and say, you know, I, I think you're letting too much stuff get out there with a paranormal tag on it, as opposed to, you know, 20 years ago when there was a real process of getting to the bottom of what it is. Now, in some ways, it's easier because in some, you know, now you can look at the, the EXIF data on a picture and you can tell if it's been manipulated. Uh, but also at the same time, like, hmm. you know, every like we were talking about this recently with uh, with UFO footage. You know, I can go out into my yard with my cell phone camera and I can take a video of a star that's, you know, still. Yeah. And and not moving. And I could jerk my camera around while I'm filming it and make it look like that light is moving. Right. And it's we see too much of these UFO videos that are coming off and people are like, Wow, look at that. Look at how it moves. Like, you can't, it's dark. You can't tell if it's the camera moving or if it's the object moving. You have to lighten the, the, the video so you can see the borders of the video so that you can see if it's the camera moving or if it's actually, you know, this object is moving. And people don't, I don't know if they just don't want to get that deep into it or if they don't know how or what, but they're just like, oh, no, you're just trying to explain it away. Like, no, it's a serious, legitimate question. No, I I deal with it all the time, all the time. Uh, a lot of times you'll get people that will send videos. Look at, you know, I get this, at least one of these, either pictures or photogra- or videos, at least once or twice a month. Check out this awesome picture of a UFO. And I'm looking, I'm looking, and all I see is, okay, there's the plane. Okay, is it behind the plane? Is it, you know, in the background? Well, you didn't see it in the middle of the... I saw a plane. Yeah, those are navigation beacons, or that's landing lights. The airport, if you're in this area, that, you know, a lot of them, you know, they they just see a light in the sky. I just don't... I don't think you're going to show me a photograph or a video that's going to make me believe that it's a UFO. Like, I just... I think it's too much of a question mark for all of this to... I mean, obviously, if you came Private. at me with something and you're like, hey, I caught this and I'm pretty sure it's a UFO, like, I would put some stock in that. Right. But, like, any link that somebody's sharing with me, I'm right. like, yep, yeah, no, not sure. wasn't there. Any official videos will grab my attention. In other words, uh, police dash cam photos. You know what, you though? Know, airline. Even those can be so easily created and faked and manipulated that... I don't know. Like if 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 it's they, coming directly it's, from the source. That's what I'm saying. If it's uh, if you can go to the police station and get you know if it's downloaded from their site and you can view it on their site, then yeah, there's something. But to like that. even a but, news channel sharing a, a video, of, you won't believe what these airline pilots saw in the sky, and then you click on the video. Like, I don't know where that came from. You know, you're just posting it. I don't even know if this is a real website for a real TV station. You know, there's, like, enough of that question out there that I can't, you know, if you just imagine people that are, you know, people that follow politics and say, I don't know what's fake news and what isn't anymore. Like, just imagine when it's like doing this and trying to scrutinize this stuff and and knowing that people are, you know, at least with political lies and manipulations, there's an agenda behind it Mm -hmm. and there's a rationale behind it. So when somebody's putting out false stories or putting out, you know, fear-mongering or whatever, like, you cannot understand the motivation behind it. I never understand when people are just faking paranormal stuff. It's like, we just want to get a laugh by yeah. having every. I mean, says the guy who just 
created the Amityville hoax on yeah. April Fool's Day, but that but was, you know, that, fun. You're expected to do that on April Fool's. But I'm saying there there are people that will create these videos or there's other ways to check to see if, you know, a video it could be legitimate, especially, like I said, with the UFO videos. A lot of them now are being taken over cities, okay? Cities, believe it or not, are filled with cameras everywhere. Right. So you find, okay, this person was at this street corner facing this direction. Look around, look for any convenience stores, gas stations, and whatever. They all have external video recording everything. If you're able to see this object in this person's video at this angle, theoretically, if this is a legitimate thing, the camera that is at, yeah, you know, you can that, triangulate it. Right. Or at least see it, you know, okay, another camera is picking this up. That happened recently with the uh, the meteor that, uh, the yeah. meteorite that landed in Detroit. Yeah. That, the, you know, somebody caught it on camera, but then they go and they see on multiple external cameras all timed up, they see this thing come across the sky. And so they were able to kind of show, like, yeah, something really did happen. I mean, obviously, too, like, there was a shaking of the ground and, you know, big flashlight, like everybody saw it. But, you know, but at least with that, they were able to kind of show the trajectory of of how it came down using that that video footage. So, but, like, I look at something like, okay, this this past week, there was a a show at the Zyterian, and there was a, a... local prominent person who had maybe a few too many during the show and got up on stage and tried to dance at the end of the show. And so one of our hosts was there and saw this happen and came back and wrote about it. And we're trying to find the video. And we're thinking, like, somebody took a video of this. Somebody took their phone and recorded this guy getting, you know, kicked off the stage for doing this. And I'm trying to find the footage. And I'm like, is it possible that in a room full of a couple of thousand people that they decided not to, like, not one of those people decided this is a moment that I need to capture on camera and put up on social media? Believe it or not, it still does happen. Like, it's yeah. not everything is going well, to be out there for you to find. So sometimes it is possible that only one person recorded this light in the sky and there is only one video of it. How many times have you and I been in paranormal investigations and situations with cameras in our hand and everybody else with the same kind of stuff, something happens and we all react after the fact. Why didn't any of us turn on the camera? I mean, at least in my defense, that's because I'm, like, totally absent-minded. But there's other people that are with us that are much more on the ball than I am that you would have think would have thought of that. But, hey, that's kind of just the situation that you're in at the time, though. It's like... Sometimes it's so overwhelming, you just want to experience the moment. Sometimes you're worried about scaring off whatever is happening. Sometimes you're just like, I could record this, but I'd rather just look at it with my own eyes and look at it through a lens. You know, <laughs> Kind of like what happened to us at Lizzie's that night with the uh, the lights going on and off when we were right, out yeah, in the we parking never, lot. We never pulled out our phones and recorded it. Yeah, and we had them right on us. Yeah, it was it was just one of those things that, it was comical. You're caught up in the moment, you know? <laughs> and I think that that's a lot of, uh, you know, if we were explaining to somebody who has been in a coma, you know, just using that as an example, but somebody who's been away from what's going on, it's become very much uh, an in-the-moment type of uh, a field now. It's not, <clears throat> it's not so much about the long view, and it's not so much about repeated acquisition of data and and 
building a case study. It's about getting into a place for one night, having something happen, coming out and saying, yep, haunted. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest disservices that has it's happened. It's become more legend tripping. It has. And it's more about just making a notch in your belt about going to a place. Or, you know, adding another investigation to the list on your website for your case files. And it's not about going there and, you know, repeatability. It's not about going there and figuring out the why. Like, we we make a way too quick at assumptions these days where we hear a story about a place going in. And so let's just, you know, let, let's just use a, a house on Main Street that... Uh, you know, a woman was killed in that house in 1920 by her husband. He strangled her to death. And so we go to this house. We go to investigate. Something happens. We reach out. We make a connection. We come out of there, and we say, well, we talked to the, the lady who got you know, strangled to death in 1920. But you don't know that for sure. And even if, even if something was there and claimed to be that, person it doesn't mean it definitely was like it's we just we so just want to wrap everything up quickly and move on to the next case that we're not going back and checking things out again and again and again you know one of my like one of the people i would put on a on a shelf or on a pedestal and tell other investigators like follow this model of what he's doing would be andy lake Yeah, because Andy never just takes things at face value for the first investigation. When it's done, he won't even tell you about what he thinks is going on there yet. He won't even make an, any assumption. He'll say it's too soon to tell. I went there, some things happened, but I can't be sure. I don't want to talk about it yet. You know, he's there for the fourth, fifth, sixth trip before he'll even talk about it with us. Let alone bring it to the radio and and talk about it here. You know, like that's that's gone from a lot of the research because it's more about going somewhere and saying that you went there you know it's 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 selfie paranormal now yeah. where it's more about just taking that photo of yourself standing outside than it is about what it is that you're doing inside yeah andy's an investigator's investigator he's there for the subject matter it's not for you know like you're saying put another tick on the box saying i checked this place out i checked that place out he's he's about the procedure Doing the work, doing the research of the place, going in, okay, let me set up my cameras this way. Let me set up my cameras that way. Let me record this part and let me record that part. He's very methodical, and that's why I like doing work with him. He's probably one, other than you guys, he's one of the only other people I will go out and, you know, do private cases with. Yeah, but, I mean, we don't even get involved in that level of case, you know, like, Especially myself, like I know I don't have that kind of time to commit to somebody and, and to to dealing with that, you know. So like that's a level of of respect that I think you have to have for somebody that's willing to let you come into their place. You know, it's different if it's like, hey, I have this, you know, I have this, uh, you know, heritage museum that I think might be haunted. You know, you can kind of go there and do a one night thing and say, well, we didn't find anything, but feel free to invite another group in or yeah. you know what have you. But when somebody is calling you about something going on at their house and they're having an issue, like, you owe it to them, if they're willing to let you come in, to do the best job that you can. And the best job that you can doesn't involve just going there one time and just handling it one night only. So I think that's probably the the biggest disservice that's being done right now is that it's not about, and I can say this 
because I, I have no issue telling you that when I do an investigation, nine times out of ten, it's for an event. And it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a business thing. Yeah. So I'm not trying to take a moral high ground here uh, for investigators, but I can say that, you know, there's we're losing that concept of you, somebody's coming to you for help. Yep. You know, and, and I would never say to somebody that's having an issue that calls me in for help, you know, can I bring other people here? Uh, can I charge people admission to get in? Can I sell this to a TV show? You know, like none of that stuff would come into my mind if I was trying to help somebody. And I think that there's too much of that that's going on. And I'm not saying that it's everybody, but there's a, a groundswell of it. And I think that's probably what would shock somebody the most that has been away from this for 20 years is to find out that not only are there are a lot more people that are doing it, but there's a lot of people that are doing it to get something out of it. Because, like, I know a lot of the folks that you associated with in the early days, they didn't talk about doing this. And if they did talk about it, they certainly weren't, like, looking to draw attention to themselves for doing it. Some people were, yeah. but, you know, most people weren't. Like, look at, I mean, Maurice wrote a book, yeah. but it wasn't about his paranormal adventures. It wasn't about his research that he's done. It was about a particular case that he had spent his life Lifetime, looking into. Yeah. You know, so that's, I mean, he's putting himself out there as an author in that regard, but it doesn't talk about what he did as a, as a paranormal researcher. It doesn't mention no. that he's a paranormal researcher. It was something that he didn't, probably didn't talk with a lot of people outside of those who did the same work. Yep. Um, that book, believe it or not, is only a fraction of the information that he gathered throughout the years. And that's a case that almost killed him. And yeah, he, he had over 15,000 pages. Wow. And, you know, they narrowed it down to, what, 280-something in I his think, book? Yeah. 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 You know, and we, we've been doing a lot of these, like, uh, looking back shows recently where uh, we... Do you have to... Are you retracting messages from Michael Bandy? Is he getting fresh in the chat room? Oh no, he was. Um, uh, remember that chat bot oh, okay. that we had? Okay. He was. He was trying to mess around with that. I say, Mike, we know we know you better than that. You shouldn't shouldn't be getting banned from the chat room. Uh, we we we've done a lot of uh, looking back lately with our 500th and our 12th anniversary show. You know, so looking back in all those episodes, I forgot one of the one of my favorite moments. Of all the things that we've done was when we were able to put Maurice and Jeff Mudgett on the phone yeah. together. You know, like mutual respect for each other and these guys, you know. Guys who had been, you know, looking into each other's work for years and had never even spoken. Yep. You know, so that's that's another one of those moments where uh, we can we can put a feather in our own caps for that. Uh, but I, I think that that's you know, in that era of that time, like the possibility might have been there for somebody to write a book about their experiences or, or maybe to, you know, go on a show like That's Incredible. Because if you go back and you watch those shows, there were episodes of That's Incredible in search of uh, early unsolved mysteries where they did look at people that were doing ghost research. But for the most part, it was not something people were advertising and putting out there. No. back You are talking back then in search of and stuff like that. There were... Only a handful of people that were really seriously doing it. Like they, uh, one of the conversations that I had with somebody recently was, uh, they had mentioned how 
looking back at old episodes of In Search of, because I had shared them on uh, on social media, and this person said, you know, looking back at those old episodes, like, you only see, like, Lloyd Auerbach and Lorraine Warren. Warren. Like, it's like there was a very small amount of people that they would actually feel were worthwhile to put on TV. Like, there was probably a lot of, uh, you know, just for lack of a better term, generic folks that they just wouldn't feel comfortable putting on TV. And I'm like, no, that wasn't the case at all. They went to these people because they were the only people that they could find that were doing it. That were also willing to be on TV. Right. There was, it wasn't like the, there's a Rolodex of of group. You can't just, right. like now you can go on Facebook and look up paranormal group for any city and find somebody or on, on Google or something. But back then, like there might have been a hundred people in the country doing it, but only four people were willing to go on camera. Right. So they would just keep going back to those four people over and over again. Uh, going back to Maurice, he, him and uh, another friend of ours, uh, well, Maurice was friends with uh, Fred Matthews, uh, who was a uh, paranormal researcher and parapsychologist for years. Uh, actually did work with the Ryan Institute. And he had been approached a number of times. Do you want to come on our show? I was like, no, I don't want, you know, I, it's not about, you know, fame and stuff like that. But there's also, I mean, there's different rationales, too, behind that. I mean, some people would say, I'm not, I'm doing this work for the sake of the work and the sake of the research. Other people might say, I don't want to go on TV because I don't want anybody to know that I do this. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to be recognized uh, at my kid's school from the other parents as being the guy that was talking about his haunted house on That's Incredible. You know, like those those kind of things were still very real then, those kind of stigmas. I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Did I know that you started doing this as a high school kid. Yeah. Did anybody... Seriously as a high school kid. Did yeah. anybody know that you were doing it? Oh, yeah. And I got... Right for it, of course. But you probably also had people that came up to you like one on one and were like, "So tell me, what's it what really going yeah. on?" Well, same thing. Being a scientist working in a laboratory, you get the ha ha has in in the group setting. But when they catch you alone, they want to share their experience mm-hmm. and find out what you know. I mean, it's that, and I know that we talk about it a lot, but like that's one of the issues that goes on in the paranormal world is that a lot, and I think that's one of the things that's changed a lot, is that a lot of the people that are involved in it are people that were ostracized when they were younger. You know, I think a lot of this field, it's not, we're not made up of the popular kids. <laughs> like, and I don't I don't think I'm really insulting anybody to say that. We, no. we weren't really the cool kids in school, a lot of us. I mean, obviously I was, but a lot of the people that are involved in this weren't. And so I think that there's some level of fear from some folks to say, I don't really want to draw attention to myself for this. But I think it's also helped a lot, too, because there's also a sense of, uh, I spent my whole life getting picked on. I'm really passionate about this. I don't care if it's one more thing people are going to pick on me for because I love it. So there is you know, there is some of that to be said, too. Yeah. Back, back in the day, you were what I, I call part of the invisible audience. You know, you you didn't stand out. You weren't, you know, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. You were, you just blended into the rest of the background with everybody else. I was uh, I was watching a documentary earlier today about a radio station in Long Island that 
you know, saw itself as like this bastion of the new wave music and, and said that they were breaking ground before uh, other radio, you know, playing acts that other radio stations just hadn't played before. And, you know, it wasn't true because a lot of these bands that they're saying, oh, we were the first ones to play that BCN had already played them. You know, oh, you too. You yeah. too, for one, but just in general. Like a lot of these bands were already being played on BCN when WLIR was. Uh, the Police to was them. another one, I think. Because their their first gig was out here in Boston. I mean, and there's a lot of bands like that. I mean, I, I'm not not trying to take away from them. You know, the the fact that they're going down to the to the airport to pick up the import records. You know, four four days after they first been released in the UK and getting to play them here. You know, six months before another any other station touched them. Fine, but you know, but I'm just thinking like that's another thing that exists now in this. Yeah. Like we've reached the point now Instant where information age. But we've, we've reached the point now where it's a fight over who got to be first to investigate a place. Whoever thought, excuse me, whoever thought that would have happened, where, first of all, there'd be so many people lining up to investigate a place that it would become a social hierarchy of who got in there first. And then it would turn into, I mean, I'm not surprised that it's become territorial. Yeah. I'm sure things were territorial even back then to some degree where, you know, it was, hey, I... You know, if there's a I'm north, the only one. Yeah, if there's a northeastern case, I want a northeastern case, and if I get something in the south referred to me, I give it to you. Yeah. You know, but there's probably some networking too. What limited availability you had, but if you knew somebody in Michigan that was into this stuff that said, "Hey, I'm coming to Boston. Can yeah. you find me a place where we can go check out together?" You know, you would do that. Uh, it was a little bit harder back then because we really didn't have the social media that we right. have today. It's you ran into this person at this place. Oh, what do I know? Here's what I know. Here's what I found. And we would share information uh, generally because back, back in my day, back in the mid-'80s, there wasn't anybody to really, you know, impress with it. Right. <laughs> you know, you were you know, you're the, you know. It was more about sharing the information and what you found. I mean, there was... It was true research. There were some people that were like... Uh, you know, there would be, like, newsletters that would start up or, or little societies that would start yeah. up. You know, some people might have even had the, uh, you know, just the, I don't want to say gall, but just, you know, the wherewithal to say, well, I keep seeing this guy's name popping up and stuff. I'm just going to write him a letter and see if he'll write back. And, you know, starting correspondence that way. But it wasn't, like, instant like it is now, where if you want to talk to somebody about their research into a place, you just got to type their name into a computer and you connect with them moments later and like what i had to do as a kid find the publisher write the publisher a letter to see if they can forward on another letter to the author and yeah Uh, so we i mean we are lucky in in that regard but there is some byproduct of that as well i mean we see it all the time around here when uh you know we get the chance to do investigations of places and then people are like oh uh, i i reached out to them and they wouldn't let me come and do an investigation it's like well, that's their right. It's not our fault that they said no. It's not their fault that they said no. You know, they don't have to let everybody come through that wants to come through. And you just kind of have to respect that. You know, some places don't want to let random paranormal group come in on Saturday night and investigate. But they're willing to say, yeah, we'll do a fundraiser event with you. And there's, I know that there's a lot of the attitude of, well, I don't pay to go on an investigation, so... I'm not going to buy a ticket to an event to get into a place because it's not a real investigation and and I shouldn't have to pay and all that. Like, 
If it's your only way in. Play by the rules. Like if somebody told me the Amityville house, you, you and can't I have had to it. do that. I mean, you get in any way you can. Right. If you're serious if about you... wanting to check the place out, get in any way you can. And hey, go there and meet the people that are in charge, yeah. and and you know talk to them, and maybe they're a little bit more receptive. How many places have we been? Let shot me clarify my years? last statement. Don't do it illegally. Right, right, right. We mean get in. Yeah. During yeah. something that's going on there, uh, you know, there's, there's. I know for a fact that there's been people who have gotten to investigate places by going on historic tours of a place. Yep. And at the end of the tour, saying to the person, hey, here's what I do. And even though they shut down your calls and emails every time that you reached out, now you get that one person that says, well, why don't you come back you know, later on tonight? And I'll be here and we'll let you look around. Or, you know, do your investigation on a historical tour. Nothing it's, wrong with taking pictures and right. turning on the recorder asking questions. Well, it um, depends. Some some tours don't want you to record the tour itself, no. so you can't even do that. But but it's it's certainly it's if it's all you have to work with, try it out. Like when the first investigation that Matt Costa and I ever went on was the Millicent Library in Fairhaven, and they yeah. told us we're not letting you in after we're closed because we don't want to stay late. So you're welcome to come while we're open and investigate. Is it ideal? Not at all. But why don't we go back there? They're not really into it. They don't really want to let anybody in and investigate anymore. It is is a neat place. Yeah, I reached out to them a while ago, and uh, they just weren't really down with letting anybody in. Where I really want to check out in this town is the high school. Well, I keep keep getting the opportunity to go in there, and then something comes up, and then I get another chance, and then something comes up. Last year, I was actually at the Hastings Middle School speaking to a group, and there was a bunch of people like, we're totally going to get you in there. We're going to do this. And then, you know, nobody follows up on it. But I keep telling them, like, we'll just do a night where it can be a fundraiser for the PTA or whatever. And we'll just go. And anybody that wants to come along, we'll just have, you know, there's three floors. So we'll have ten people on each floor. And we'll do an hour or so. And then we can swap it out and, you know, just things like that. Because people look at that place and say, I want to get in there and look for ghosts. There's people that live in this town that are paranormal investigators that want to get in there. So, you know, places like that are few and far between when they, they have that type of a positive connection to the community and people want to get in there. You know, like a lot of the times... Like the New Bedford Armory. Although uh, that was, I was thinking of the Armory, too. The other, the other day I wrote a, a yeah, news I, story about a place... There was are they a gonna drug bust right next door. Nope. What's happening with that? The last I heard, it was it had gone up for auction again. Okay, how much was uh, they're, they're looking for? Uh, it was in the millions. Yeah, I kind of so figured that. It was. I forget how much it was the last time, but uh, you know, the mayor. We've had the mayor on. You know, we have the mayor on every Wednesday on WBSM, and he's talked in the past about trying to get something going there, and you know that it just it has to make financial sense for people. The problem is, is it's in a spot where nobody really wants to do anything with it in that spot. You know, somebody will buy it and tear it down and make a house, but not for, you know, $2 million. Um, I know somebody that may want to buy it. Well, that's the thing is, like, the, they're not just going to let it be used for anything. So, What do you mean, used for Like, anything? there's restrictions on what they can do if they buy it because of the zoning. Like... It's zoned for business, isn't it? No, it's residential. 
That, Even though, okay. No, that was that building was built before they zoned. Yeah. So it's you know it's it's just kind of one of those situations where a neighborhood happened to just pop up around, around it, it. Yeah. which is kind of what's uh, holding it back. But we'll we'll look some more into that. You know, maybe I'll talk to the mayor and be like, Mayor, want to go on a ghost hunt? I know just the place, <laughs> but I think it's still under the control of the Army Corps, isn't it? Y- yeah. So, uh, as usual, when we want to do the cool stuff, we got to ask them. Oh, uh, can we go on the can we go on the underwater tunnel that goes uh, across the harbor? We got to ask the Army Corps of Engineers. Oh, okay. I don't know why I'm using that voice to describe that. Like, hey, we're trying to protect this from letting anybody in there that could do serious damage. You know, this is like a, a defense kind of thing, and you're mocking it. Sorry. All right, well, that does it for this week's show. We're out of time. Uh, we'll be off, uh, I think, for the next couple of weeks, but then we'll be back with some more shows, some more paranormal talk. Definitely much better conversation than tonight. Not that it was a bad conversation, but uh, we will go down far less tangents. Yeah. I can't really promise that at all. Uh, but if you've missed any of the shows, you can check them all out wherever you get podcasts and on SpookySouthCoast.com. Check us out on the Dark Matter Radio Network every Tuesday. And, uh, of course, find all the videos of the shows on YouTube. And Matt does a great job putting up spooky clips throughout the week, so you can always find little digestible pieces of the show because this whole show tonight will give you indigestion. All right, until next time, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. Stay spooktacular.